Hello, my name is James McDermott. I'm a writer, teacher and 26-year-old cisgendered man. As a gay man, I love men, but as a gay man, I dislike men too. As a camp man who talks and writes about his feelings, I have always questioned stereotypical masculine ideals. As stereotypical men aren't camp, don't talk about their feelings and certainly don't create plays and poems about them. As a 26-year-old, I feel I've learned and unlearned lots about being a man, but at 26, still have lots to learn and unlearn about being my own kind of man. In this podcast series, I will talk with several people to explore masculinity, try and work out why we love and hate men, whether there are such things as masculine ideals, how creativity can help men explore and express themselves, and what men still have to learn and unlearn about being their own kind of man. In episode two, I am joined by Sam Roddick. Hello, Sam. Hello, James. Thank you for joining us. So can we start by asking you a little bit about yourself and your relationship with masculinity? Yeah, so I'm Sam Ruddock. I am 37. I'm white, middle-aged, cisgendered, heterosexual man. Um, I am married for 16 years. I've got two cats, a dog. I'm pretty comfortably middle-aged, I think, now, which is a weird thing to start having to say, but I think it's becoming the truth. Um, professionally, I'm a publisher, a literature producer. Um, uh, I work with people to edit and, and support their writing. And I am director of an organisation called Story Machine Productions, which seeks to bring stories and books alive in immersive, engaging ways that um, allow people to sort of step inside a book and play around in there. I'm sort of trying to do a little bit what Secret Cinema does for cinema, but with new books, um, creating immersive experiences, creating unexpected experiences, and fundamentally just sharing my love of books with other people. On top of that, I, in a personal level, I'm a recovering sex addict. I've been in recovery for four years, um, having had some pretty big challenges around that. And about 10 years ago, I found out I was infertile. And so my wife and I can't have children. Um, and I think that that lack of a procreative ability um, really questioned my virility, questioned and complicated my sense of my masculinity I don't really feel comfortable and confident in masculinity I feel the weight of the word man weighs really heavily upon me and somehow the associations that come with masculinity that make you a worthwhile man attractive and significant to the world not feeling like I live up to them really questions everything about me really and it's caused lots of problems in my life. Fundamentally, I don't really know what it is to be a man. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to produce this podcast with you and why I'm really interested in, in listening to all of the other stories so that I can learn a lot more about what it is to be a man. Great. Thank you so much for your candour. It's beautiful to hear you talk at length about those things. Um, that idea of stories uh, really, really fascinates me, and I empathise with that idea there. Um do you think the story of masculinity that we were raised with um, has led to your interest in stories or your escape into stories or your wanting to be other people through stories? And um, 
if I can push as well that idea of that story of what it is to be a man and how that's affected the relationship with sex addiction and infertility to really diametrically opposed things, but also really, really linked things in that idea of um, that virile man. So to sum up there, I realise I've asked you two questions. That idea of elaborating more on stories and whether that was an escape from the story of being a man and your relationship with that story of virility that we're told um, about men as well. I would love to hear more about that. Yeah, so my early experiences of stories were very positive and I don't think that has anything to do with masculinity particularly. I Some of my earliest memories were being read to, cuddled up on the sofa or in bed with my parents, reading books, memorising them, loving them, never getting enough of them. And then once I learnt to read, being quite a voracious reader, reading under the covers at night, all of those sorts of things, taking into school books that I was reading and being really excited about and wanting to talk about them with people all of that sort of thing um I think has been a a really central part of my life throughout my life actually there's never been a time where I haven't loved stories and reading really in terms of my early experiences of masculinity I guess at six they come with from parents fundamentally and mostly um I think the picture I got of masculinity from my dad was one of, he is, I think he's relatively comfortable in his masculinity, but he also sees a lot more strength in the feminine. Um, he, my parents are both social workers. Um, they were very clear growing up that, that femininity was a, 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 there was a lot to be, to be gained from femininity and that a patriarchal sexist world was not one that served anyone or the best interests of society very well um strong pacifists um real nurture as a as a value that they hold um and that undoubtedly played a large role in how i i related to masculinity and things like that i think in my early years i didn't really obviously i didn't know much about what these words meant anyway but how I be looking back on how I behaved I guess probably up until the age of about seven or eight I feel like my focus was on just I really enjoyed sitting down with people talking chatting laughing um being together um and I always felt safest doing that and then I have this quite strong memory of sitting on the steps in the playground at primary school and some of, the, some of the other kids, mostly boys, but it wasn't all boys by any means, were playing football and the ball came over to us and I kicked it back. Um, and then I think the ball came over again. This might all be in different days, um, but I sort of ran on to the pitch with it and like ran around a couple of the other players and maybe kicked it somewhere. Anyway, I, I, I remember this immediate sense of being good at football it feeling quite easy and natural and I think I loved that well I know I loved that it was one of the greatest feelings and I think at that point I sort of moved away from sort of conversation and collaboration and play as the key things that were important to me to competition to winning um and to doing um I 
I was always quite a short child. Um, when I was seven, I had to have growth hormone for a year, which was uh, injections twice a day to because they didn't think I'd be five foot even. Um, and so I think there might have been a bit where being good at something, I was also quite good at school, but being good at things made me feel worthy. Um, and I really chased that feeling and loved it. Um, as I grew up a bit and moved on, so probably into teenage years and things, I guess that shortness also had a, an impact in making me uncertain whether I would really fitted with masculinity, um, whether I, I didn't feel attractive, I didn't feel chiseled jaw, strong, any of those qualities. And I didn't really, and, and at my heart, I valued quieter things I like I was quite introspective I liked my own company and I think the pictures of masculinity that I engaged with weren't particularly positive really I am um, I went to a boys school with boys who I felt were quite immature I was bullied by some of them I felt like I always had to put on a front to get through I felt scared I felt anxious in that environment and I compared myself to the other boys as well and found myself weaker, less attractive, certainly less cool, and lots of those things. And the idea that I should be trying to be like those people, I think, sort of felt quite limiting, limiting as well. I remember some of the things that most influenced my sense of, of what it meant to be a man as a teenager came from sitcoms. I remember particularly men behaving badly. But looking back now... All I see is a show that basically taught me that to be a man was to be an incredibly immature man-child interested in drinking, being loud, and sex, completely incapable of living their own life, pitied by the women around them who just wish they'd bloody grow up, and just not a particularly impressive thing to be. And for someone who really wanted to impress people and to be good at things, I think that was a very limiting view of of what being a man might be and I felt that kind of yeah becoming a man might be to have those certain stereotypes and expectations thrust on me that I did not want I kind of saw being a man as being not good and being a woman as being better I remember seeing I can't remember I don't know whether my mum had it on it's the sort of thing she may well have had a magnet of or something or just seen it on t-shirts but the kind of a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle and slogans like that of classical feminism and feeling like okay so maybe I'm not needed and I really wanted to be needed and I think I thought okay so being a man maybe not needed not good being feminine or female better something to esteem to almost um and the other influence that I remember strongly and I don't even know if this is actually a real memory or not because I've not actually found the gone back and found the quote but it was in friends um and I think it's Ross and Rachel are having an argument. And Rachel says, oh, come on, Ross, have you never used sex to get something? And he turns back, how could I possibly use sex to get something? Sex is what I want. Or I'm a man, sex is what we want, actually, I think. Much more about gender as a whole. Um, and so yeah, from that and from a million other sources, I came to see masculinity as sexual virility, But then if you mix that up with some of the other things going on in my head, the idea that 
being a man maybe not good and being a woman maybe better i had this burgeoning sexuality um but saw it as an immature thing um was scared that if i shared it it would make me less attractive to people and kind of show me up to be just another man in typical way that all men are and so I sort of denied it to myself you know I didn't deny it in terms of my actions but I denied it in terms of my public social persona um never felt comfortable with it and tried to pretend I was essentially asexual with other people um because I thought that would help me be liked um and so I was sort of intuiting this idea that being a man was bad so I deny everything that made me a man, except I was still absolutely living within the reality and chemical makeup and everything of becoming a man. And I felt like I was smoke and mirrors of kind of life of, of putting on an act to try to be what I thought a man should be rather than having any sense of who I was as me. Thank you so much for your candor and talking at length about this thing. It's so moving and so resonating on so many levels. I think part of the reason I wanted to make this podcast is all my life I felt a real disconnect from straight men and thinking we're never going to understand each other. And just hearing so many of your life experiences chime with mine, be that that idea that we're taught that as a straight man or a gay man that your life revolves around sex and virility. Or not virility for gay men, but certainly being um, sexually active and being... Um, red-blooded really fascinated by, by that idea that quite early we both realize that to be a man is to be a man child and we're both still telling stories for jobs i find that's quite amusing and quite beautiful at exactly the same time and that idea that we both learnt in some way that to be a man is not to talk anymore but it's to join a tribe be that the tribe of um, queer writers for me or be that the tribe of football for you um, and that both our sense of masculinity was shaped through comedy, be that friends or men behaving badly or some others do have them for me and Kenneth Williams in the Carry On films, that we were both kind of being um, shaped through comedy. And that idea that men might only be able to find something palatable if um, we dress it up as a joke. It's not sincere, it's not truthful, it's a joke, it's got a punchline, it's really well structured. It's where so many stand-ups might be male. I find that a really, really interesting um, observation that's emerging from how we talk about our masculinity. So you spoke about those childhood experiences and leaving stories and conversation behind for sport and competing. And then the teenage experience of being shaped by um, sitcoms and the idea that men should be incredibly sexually active. I would like to talk a little bit now about yourself at 26, because that's where I am now. And um, as I said in the introduction to the podcast, it feels like a really um, important age where I've got to shrug off ideas of being a youthful teenager and I'm nearing my 30s. So I feel like I should have my shit together a little bit. And I feel like I have in so many ways, but there's still so much I feel I need to learn about being an adult. Um, so can I ask about yourself at 26 and what you know now that you wish you'd known at 26 about being a man? Yeah, so at age 26, I was now married. I'd got married at 22 to my first partner. I met her online. She was in America at the time. I was in the UK. She saved me from quite a dark place in lots of ways. 
um, but also help me find connection in the most beautiful way. I loved her. I still love her. But I don't think I knew what it was to be a man when we got together and certainly didn't know what it meant to be a husband. And so I think she got a pretty bum deal of me. I was immature. I was stuck with probably quite teenage attitudes towards the world and hadn't had them challenged and hadn't had to grow up. And I think that while I was capable in a sort of housework and skills type of way, I was very immature emotionally. Um, I was also working in the bookshop at that time. I think I'd been working in the bookshop for about three years, maybe. Um, and that was really important to me. It was my first job post my academia. Um, and I quickly found I loved the work. Um, it was really good for me. Talking about books, sharing books, touching books. I felt such joy from it. I felt really excited to be close to them. It sparked a huge new phase of reading and discovering books and literature that I'd not read before. But I also wanted more. I wanted that conversation after people had read books as well. Um, I started setting up festivals to basically give myself an opportunity to externalise that joy I found in books. Um, and that was really, really exciting. I think that's probably one way in which I fit very neatly into the stereotype of maleness, um, which is sort of assuming that I can do things. I'm not always very good at asking permission. I'm quite good at improvising and creating. And I've never not done something professionally because I'm too scared to do it or because I think I should hold back. And that's quite interesting to just see and acknowledge that that, that along with the competitiveness, are two big traits of maleness that I, I have. Um, and so that, that career, in in words, was building and was a very positive thing. I guess in my personal life, I was still confused and uncomfortable and angry at myself for not feeling like a man and not being able to express myself, not being able to communicate any sexuality really. Um, feeling ashamed of it, but also spiralling in addiction, um, spending more and more time online, watching pornography, um, all sorts of things like that. Um and in terms of my marriage, obviously that was problematic hugely um, and very damaging to my wife. But I was even more so probably, I was also self-obsessed. I was blind to what it meant to live relationally with someone else, to be intimate and connected with someone else. Um, I was totally trying to control rather than to be. Um, I would not share anything if I didn't want other people to know because I'd made a conscious decision I was not able to be vulnerable um, with either my wife or with friends I increasingly had fewer and fewer friends because I didn't want to spend time with them, I wanted to focus on me and they shaped how I saw myself and my place in the world I think I thought it was really important to be a man, to be self-sufficient to not need anything from anyone else essentially to deny any humanity any that I had any needs just to just to achieve just to succeed just to I, 
don't even know what the word I'm looking for is. Um, but it felt very powerful at that point. I, Looking back, I had none of the skills to be comfortable in my masculinity. I was still following it as though it was a storyline, as though it was a script I had to live and embody and live up to in every way and not recognizing that I had the opportunity to change that or to be a different way and feeling very very annoyed by my own both by those stereotypes and expectations but also by my inability and failing to live up to them. Thank you so much again for your candor and sharing so much with me so many things to unpack um I'm really, really interested in that move back to books and talking um, as an adult, that shunning of conversation and communication for sport um, really, really links with my journey as well of kind of hiding yourself and not talking. Um, And then if you do, you talk through other people, you talk through the language of football, you talk through the language of queer icons in camp until you find yourself writing or um, working with books and producing festivals and being front facing. Um, Something that we've both got in common again is that idea of profession giving you a sense of self and maybe a a craftsmanship that links to stereotypical masculinity and a sense of belonging with a team that links to stereotypical masculinity. Um, I love that idea that you don't know what masculinity is and such a simple point but so kind of richly expressed, beautifully and simply expressed. I think so many of the problems are that we don't really know what it is. Um, and that idea of fantasy, that really, really dominant fantasy, be that an escape into books at first, an escape into football, an escape into sex, an escape into plays, an escape into sitcoms, um, an escape into masculinity. I think lots of people who don't feel um, like an individual want to escape into the idea of being a man. It's a team just like a football team is, or just like a group, being a part of a group of playwrights or a part of a um, team of staff in Waterstones. Whatever it is, we all want that sense of belief in things we can't see. We belong to this tribe and that tribe means, that tribe means we're this kind of person. Um, it's lovely hearing those links between, again, that sense of feeling different from straight men all my life. And so hearing so much in common is incredibly moving to me. Um, if I may... I'd like to talk about that spiral that you said was kind of building building up um, at 26 and how that led you to where you are now, which is, it sounds like you're uh, far more settled in yourself um, and far more comfortable talking again. That lovely sense of, that I empathise with as well, regressing to being six and not really caring about what people think about you. We haven't, we've gone through learning shame struggling with masculinity and then coming out of it as a person instead of a man. Um, So, yeah, if you would, talk to me about that spiral and where you are now and um, how that sense of storytelling has returned and conversation has returned that you'd shunned as a kid. 26 was probably a turning point for me, particularly in my career. Um, I got a new job, I think, when I was 26, 27, um, 26 I think um, a job that I'd really wanted that I'd worked a long time for and um, was thrilled to get and that opened up new opportunities I started to learn even more about the world of books um, I had amazing generous colleagues who pushed me who trusted me who supported me and enabled me to have some success in my career um, I started 
being a public face of some some programs, some festivals, some events. I got promoted. I got along with colleagues and people I think saw me as good and that all really benefited my ego. Over the first two or three years I then got um, some professional development opportunities um, and I threw myself into all of them because they were quite they came quite easily to me in some ways people were pushing me people were making it easy for me and I was able to understand and follow those and I probably it felt natural I was being myself in that whereas in my personal life I wasn't and so I focused on my um, professional life in my personal life I think around 26 27 we started to try and have children um, and after a while it became clear that there might be problems and we got tested and it turned out that I had low sperm count and it would be hard for us to conceive. And you know what? There was no point in me which I was surprised at that. In fact, I think I kind of assumed it because I had so much sexual shame and felt so broken in terms of virility. It kind of made sense that I wouldn't have any procreative ability either. But at the same time as being totally expected, it came with an earth-shattering sense of failure. A sense of just, well, what the fuck am I to be now? You know, what is... How can I pretend to be a man anymore? I have nothing. And that hurt. My wife tried to help me get support, you know, joining groups or online things and I pushed it all away because I didn't want to even acknowledge that failing I, I felt it deeply but I couldn't even acknowledge it for a second in the real world I pushed her away, I pushed it away addiction spiralled, I discovered chat and increasingly escaped into fantasy lives I'd spend like days upon weeks upon months in front of a computer pretending to be someone I wasn't tending to be better than I was in my own conception of what better meant ways in which I was able to express my sexuality where my sexuality was celebrated and where I could not live the reality of my anxious controlled trapped identity I got lost from the world focused more and more on in myself I was completely in denial about it all. Um, I love the acronym that I learned recently about denial, which is, you know, didn't even, don't, or don't even know I am lying. And that was me. I did not know how much denial there was in my life. And life was just built upon lie, upon lie, upon lie, upon guilt, upon guilt, upon guilt. So that I was totally disconnected from myself. Everything was fake about me. Everything was deliberately created. If you thought I was nice, it was because I deliberately tried to appear nice. And at no point was I ever being myself. And I think a really good example of that is that... So after I did my fellowship professionally, I learned a lot about the importance of vulnerability. And I started being a coach. Um, and I really valued those sorts of things. And I spent a lot of time talking about the value of conversation of vulnerability, of talking. And yet, I could not do that in my own life. I could not be vulnerable, especially to people who were close to me. I couldn't risk them seeing any crack in my perfection. 
because then they might see what a total wreck I was. And so I was going around telling everyone about these things that I couldn't do myself. And it was crazy what I, uh, what a world I'd built for myself. I was disconnected from other people. I was lonely. I was riddled with guilt. I was ashamed about my very essence as a person and as a man. I felt unattractive, unlovable. And I was putting very little but ego and me into the world. I wasn't really helping other people. And then it all kind of crashed. Um, just when I was at the height of my professional success, things went pretty catastrophically wrong. And I found myself alone with no support structure. And suddenly, rather than being the successful person in my marriage, I had to realise that I was, you know, I was the problem. And that was very humbling. Over the next year or so, I came into recovery and started to admit that I was an addict and went to join the group, which my wife literally had to force me in the door of because I was so scared to join a group. But immediately when I did, I found joy and connection and wonderful things it really if there was one moment that changed my life I would say the moment I walked into recovery rooms changed my life when I looked into the eyes of other people who had done the same sorts of things as I'd done but who weren't riddled with shame who were smiling at the world who were living a life free of those torments it it inspired me and it showed me the model that I could be a different way of life really but in order to live that I guess the sense of Sam as God had to be utterly shattered and it was utterly shattered I realized that actually other people had better ideas than I did and that I should listen to them and follow what they said I found a joy in acceptance talking to others sharing my shame as a process of that sharing the shame eased the guilt eased I began to feel more comfortable in myself. I was told that the way to be successful in life was not to hold on to what you had, but to give it away to others, to support others, to help others. And I found a lot of satisfaction and pride in that work, but pride in a healthy way. My blood pressure that had built from just uh, constantly trying to act reduced and I started to feel at peace finally and I started to put love into the world and it was a yeah it was a really really beautiful change that I found and I guess that question you ask about um, things I wish I'd learned then or wish I'd known or wish I could tell myself back when I was 26 or 16 so masculine is dangerous when it's too closely attached to the ego I I guess I've kind of seen sometimes that female friendships are nurtured through embarrassment, failure, shame, times which bring people together, and that males are often created through competition and success. And I'm sure that that female type of friendship is problematic and limiting in some ways. But I also think it's better for building connection and understanding and getting the support that's needed. We are all human beings who need support in our lives. And if we don't have it, we just build up problems. And so I really, I'm aware of that, that, yeah, embarrassment is not always a bad thing, Sam. You should uh, maybe try that and uh, try sharing yourself. You might find people 
don't reject you as you assume they will. I'm now very aware that being a man comes with lots of privileges. I'm very aware of that, and I think it's really important to acknowledge those. But those privileges can also be pitfalls if you can't manage the ego, the disconnection, the looking inward, the way that society can sometimes celebrate you. It can build you up and build you up and build you up until you get this inflated bubble of self. Um, and somehow in that, in people celebrating me, became this escalator and it almost built the noose that I then had a way to hang myself with. Um, and I can totally see how suicide becomes such a big thing for men under 40. Um, because... When the world doesn't, when you don't feel like you're doing in the world what you should be doing, if you can't share that vulnerability, if you can't acknowledge it to other people, then the only way out is through suicide, I guess. And I'm so grateful I never went too close to that, but I really see how how logical it can be and how, actually I think that is a product of masculinity in some ways. I really wish I'd spent less time chasing praise and acclaim and more time just being with people, less time trying to be what I thought people wanted me to be and more time just being what I was, which is actually what people want me to be and what people want anyone to be. I wish I had the strength to reject the stories that I had assumed and intuited from culture around masculinity. And I feel like I'm now in a position where I'm trying to consciously challenge and reject the stories of the world I live in, the stories of what it means to be a man, but also the stories of what it is to be a successful adult, a successful artist, you know. I'm finding joy at the moment in recognising where I feel I'm behaving to do with a story and rejecting it. So I've recently stopped using the word productive as a marker of success you know I've been productive today so my day's been good I reject that entirely because my value is not as being productive it's not as achieving I try and talk about being purposeful which is a much better way I think of seeing the world which is you know I'm deliberately trying to do something whether that is getting something well done or it's deliberately not doing something it's deliberately nurturing myself um, you know I find conversations with other people at least as purposeful, if not more, and at least as rewarding as creating a new show or achieving something great that the world might clap for. Um, I'm also enjoying... A friend of mine recently said that he sees some um, feminine qualities in me, um, particularly around how I embrace joy. Um, I can get quite high-pitched and quite clappy um, and things, and... I'm trying to really embrace those and not see themselves as a failing of masculinity, but as just a natural part of me that I'm now letting come out. I guess in lots of ways I'm questioning what masculinity means. I'm finding that I don't really like a lot of the assumptions around masculinity that I find when I question it. And I wish I'd learned that earlier. I wish I'd done that earlier. I wish I'd been that earlier. I think I would have saved me a lot of pain. I would have saved my wife even more pain and damage. I think being a man just means being a person. It means recognising that if you have physical strength, you can use it for the benefit of others. 
if you have confidence, you can use it for the benefit of others. That your sexuality is a creative thing, creative and God-given thing to be celebrated, but it needs to be also generous and not a thing that weighs heavily on other people. Um, and beyond that, I don't think there are any rules for being a man. The story of masculinity is damaging. The reality of being a man is that I'm Sam. I'm 37 years old and for the first time in my life I'm finally feeling relatively comfortable in myself and I love that. Thank you so much for being so open. I think there's so much to unpack there as well. Again, really, really moved by the similarities in your story and my story as a gay man as well of that idea of masculinity not fitting for us and so we felt impotent in our masculinity in some fashion be that through infertility or um, homosexuality on my part and that bred a great sense of shame that led us to build a character um, where we became god of our own world and like you I think I had a big sense of um, arrogance when you're first validated professionally but that just feels like a really thick armour um, because you're scared to be seen underneath. So I really, really empathise with so much of that, how you become god of your own world um, because you've manufactured a world, because you feel anything but godly as a confused man. And that is that sense of um, vulnerability being the key. I think that is the key to everything. I think having a conversation, being brave enough to say I'm hurting, um, I've always found when I do that with friends, most of my friends are straight men, and I think it's because I am a more stereotypically effeminate man where I can talk to people they get great solace in that and I know that those conversations just save friendships and um, re really do help so I think vulnerability is the key to everything and as a way to wrap everything up I think there's that great sense for both of us that we've accepted now a state of uncertainty I think so much of my journey has been um and anger caused by the fact I don't know who I am for certain because nothing quite fitted with me. I didn't feel like a man and um, that felt problematic. I didn't feel like a certain type of gay man and that felt problematic. And then, like you said, you're now just Sam. Now I'm just James. That feels instantly freeing and accepting identity as a journey, not as a destination. And that I can be this type of man today and a different type of man tomorrow. Or I can be a human today and who knows who I'll be tomorrow. I think there's so much solace in stop trying to perform a fixed narrative when we are capable of shifting and changing so much. I think the idea of being a man is so at odds with being a human being who can shift and create. And we are laden with complexity and contradiction and trying to be and perform and exist as a three letter word that's so rigid and fixed can only be corrosive and dangerous. Um, so looking forward, that sense of positive masculinity feels like it has something to do with accepting that masculinity is a journey, not a destination. It is completely unfixed. And if there are kind of four billion men, there's probably going to be four, dif four billion different versions of masculinity. Um, it's so moving to hear your story. And as I say, so much of my angst and writing has been coming from that place of I feel like the masculine world is never going to understand me because of my sexual identity and their sexual identity and to hear that we've encountered similar problems 
and dealt with them in several dysfunctional ways in order to find a more functional way of existing as a human now um, is overwhelmingly moving to me. So thank you for your candour and thank you for joining me on this podcast. Sam Ruddock, thank you very much. Thank you for listening. This has been Mantor, the Masculinity Conversations, brought to you by me, James McDermott, and Story Machine Productions, with music by Jordan Mallory Skinner and produced by Sam Ruddock. We're keen to talk to anyone who wants to share their experience of masculinity. If you would like to be featured in a forthcoming episode, drop us a line at storymachineproductions at gmail.com.